Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious Father, Lord, we are small and despised, yet help us not to be forgetful, not to forget of your precepts. Lord, help us to focus our eyes on your word to see of your righteousness and your righteousness that is forever. That your word is indeed true. Lord, as we find that trouble and anguish might surround us, we would find refuge in your commandments, that they are our delight. That your testimonies would be our righteousness forever. Pray that you would be with us this morning and help us the work of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. It is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salmon, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed as a, in a white robe. They were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. But go, tell His disciples and Peter, that He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him, just as He told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone. Today, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our Lord will stand forever. Jesus had told His disciples, Three times what was going to happen. And every time he spoke, he finished by saying, three days later, he will rise. Now everything that he had said had come to pass. However, this last comment was different than the others. He had pointed out that this was God's definite plan since the beginning. We've been able, as we've gone through this study, to be able to point out seven different things that would happen to the Son of Man. He would be delivered, condemned, delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, spat on, flogged, and killed. And every single one of those has come to pass. But yet one more remained. That He would be raised after the third day. All of the other times, those are actions that are done to the Son of Man. Things that would happen to the Son of Man. In each of these things, God shows God's sovereign plan. 
And that's the beauty of this prophecy. It is hard to be able to predict the future when you have no control over the events. For example, it was the Sanhedrin's council that decided to hand Jesus over to Pilate. Their choice could have gone any way. Most likely, if they followed the law, it would have turned to stone him. However, all these things of foretelling of Jesus' death, the last one, that He will rise, this is the only one that He would do of Himself. All of the others are verbs done to Jesus. Here it is, Jesus who will raise Himself. But even more than that, the others are somewhat ordinary and regular things. However, the last is an impossible for man. Very few times in history of the world has someone ever been resurrected from the dead. Elijah and the young boy in 1 Kings chapter 17. Elisha and the son of the woman of Shuman in 2 Kings chapter 4. The body of the man who was thrown into Elijah's tomb, Elisha's tomb in 2 Kings chapter 13. We've seen resurrection happen in the Gospels of uh, that young girl and also of Lazarus. However, all of these times are related to someone else. It is always someone else that is doing the raising. The only one you might say is that that time when the the man who was thrown into the tomb of Elisha's tomb. But never in history has a dead person been raised by themselves. And this is where we see a glorious promise found in the Gospels which is repeated throughout the Scriptures. What do we see in the Gospel of Mark? The first thing that we see is the women, the women go and anoint the body of Jesus. Verses 1 and 2. The women go and anoint the body of Jesus. Mark turns back to the women. In verse 47 of the previous chapter, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Oseus, saw where he was laid. Now, it wouldn't be the end of the Gospel of Mark with one final sandwich, right? A Markian sandwich. We know that Mark loves sandwiches, and here we find another one. That the women are sandwiched between Joseph of Arimathea. A contrast between two people or two events or things. We see back in verse 40 of chapter 15 that the women watched Jesus' crucifixion from a distance. And now they see Jesus' body been laid in the tomb. We'll briefly talk about burial practice of the first century. We have one more in important piece of information that we need to be reminded of. That the body was normally anointed with spices and herbs or herbs to cover the smell of the body as it decayed over that period of a year until they could correctly just bury the bones. The problem was that Jesus was taken down from the cross the evening on the day of preparation. Sabbath began at sunset. There was not enough time to be able to correctly anoint the body for the burial. This is why John says in John chapter 12 about the woman who anoints Jesus at, Barry, uh, at uh, 
Bethany. That she had anointed him for his death and burial. Mark tells us that now the Sabbath is past. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Now after the Sabbath is past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and so on brought spices to anoint him. Now many people try and refute the resurrection. I think rightly so. Paul says that if you are going to refute one thing in Christianity and make it all crumble, it is the resurrection from Jesus from the dead. He says, if we have no resurrection, we preach vanity. We preach in vain. There's two main ways you can do that. You can either say that he did not die, and therefore he was not raised from the dead. Or you can say that there was no resurrection. One of the greatest ways to refute this is look at the account found in the Gospels. Not only did Jesus die, we saw that last time with His burial, but then you look at the account following the resurrection. And if you're going to make up a story about how Jesus was raised from the dead, you would not do it the way the Gospel authors present it. If you're going to make up a story, don't make up a story where you are unaware of everything that's happening. You have no clue what is going to happen. Now, depending on the audience, you also wouldn't have the first witnesses of the resurrection to be women. Many people probably thought that they weren't very good witnesses. Now, although the Mosaic Law did not forbid women from being witnesses, Some rabbis and schools of thought interpreted Deuteronomy 19, verse 17. The oath of testimony is conducted with men and not women. Some scholars, rabbis, believe that women weren't allowed to testify in court. That's not all, but some. But Roman law, where they were, were, was different. And they actually did allow women to be witnesses. So it's not that just one group, they just were never allowed. It depends on the culture that you're in. And on, when you're thinking about Jewish culture, it depends on what rabbi you follow. But the second aspect is, if you're going to make up a story, don't have women to be your first witnesses. The second aspect, if you were to make up a story that no one actually understands what Jesus said when he said after three days he will rise again. No one, everyone is oblivious to all of this. You see it even in this passage that the women go, why do they go to the tomb? They go to the tomb to be able to anoint the body. Specifically to anoint a dead body. They're not going taking him some breakfast, they're not going taking him a change of clothes. But they're taking spices to anoint him. Although they have been told clearly up to this point, we're told and we'll find out about these women in chapter 15 that they've been with Jesus and his ministry ever since the Galilean ministry, his whole time. And they go to the tomb to be able to anoint Jesus 
for his burial. They had seen Jesus been placed in that tomb on the day of preparation. And what do they expect? I lose things all the time. But often I lose things most of the time because I placed it somewhere and I forget where I placed it. Sometimes get things get moved by our children. That just messes with your mind. But most of the time I place something and it doesn't move. You, you place a dead body somewhere, it does not move. It does not move outside of a room. So they come back on this, the, the, after the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, the, the Sunday, and they go to this tomb expecting to find Jesus there. But this is what they discover. The second thing we see, the women discover the empty tomb in verses 3 and 6. The sun was sitting low on the horizon this Sunday morning as they walked towards the tomb. And as they walked towards the tomb, they talked amongst themselves and find themselves in a bit of dilemma. They have all the spices that they need. They know where he has been laid. But both the Marys had seen where Jesus was laid. And they saw that Joseph had rolled a stone in front of the tomb. So they ask a very practical question. Who will roll the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now Mark explains that this is a very large stone. It was just not just a regular stone, but one that is exceedingly large. So much that the three women thought that they would not be physically able to roll it out of the way. Yet as they arrived at the tomb, the problem was eliminated. The stone had already been rolled away. One commentator highlights, the removal of the stone suggests that in all the respects, the resurrection of Jesus is entirely God's work. The human role in the event is that of witnesses, not a worker. For the first time in history, Last rites were all wrong. An earlier commentator, Bede, explained it this way. The angel rolled back the stone, not to throw open a way for the Lord to come forth, but to provide evidence to the people that He had already come forth. That here, the Son of Man will rise from the dead is something that the Son of Man does Himself. Again, these women are just witnesses, not workers. And as they walk in, they see a man there in the tomb. Now, rightly so, they're alarmed. You walk into a tomb, expecting to see a dead body wrapped up in linen cloth. You don't find a dead man. You find a man seated beside where the body lay. The right side, Mark tells us. And they saw this man being buried three days before. However, this man was not laying down as they expected. He was sitting up. The man was not wrapped in a linen shroud, but a white robe. Now, I think alarmed is quite an understatement. However, this message gives us all the information that we need to know. 
This man who's sitting there in the white says, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The place in which Jesus' lifeless body was laid is now empty. He has risen. He is not here. Here is the glorious news of the gospel. Paul explains if Christ was not raised from the dead, then all of this is futile and vain. We are told that He is not there, that He is risen. The Son of God rose from the dead. His heart began to pump. His lungs began to expand. His veins began to circulate blood throughout His whole body. His brain started to send signals to His body, His nerves, and His nervous system. Christ, who was dead, is now alive. Not because of medical intervention, but he laid it down on his own accord. And John 10 says he also has the power to take it up again. Once dead, but now alive. Days prior, he was a suffering servant at the hands of the whims of people, those lawless men around him, mocking him, crucifying him, like a sheep led to the slaughter. But now... He is the exalted King. It is the resurrection that set Christ apart from all the good, all that had gone before Him. He defeated death. He was victorious over Satan. The wages of sin as as all we have inherited from Adam. But death is paid in full by Christ. The resurrection is the proof of Christ's payment. The receipt, you might say. That that sacrifice was satisfactory for divine judgment. Death had lost its victory and its sting. Now this is a side note, but a very important one. This is the foundation of our hope. That Christ was raised from the dead. That our preaching, that our belief is not in vain. The good news is not just only that Christ was raised from the dead, but as our baptism shows that we were buried with Him, that we also have been raised with Him. Not only that Christ was crucified for us, but also that He was raised for us as well. Romans chapter 4 puts it. That we... We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And now we have been raised from the dead. That we are made alive together with Christ by grace. As Paul puts it in Ephesians. Christ's resurrection is not only His victory over sin and Satan, but it is ours as well. We have been born again to a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our resurrection likes Christ's is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We rejoice that Christ rose from the dead. He crushed the serpent's head as He had promised. We rejoice that because He lives, we can live. A hymn written in 1757 by Christian Gerbert. A hymn is called, Jesus Lives and So Shall I. The first stanza speaks of the beauty of found in Christ in our resurrection. 
Jesus lives and so shall I. Death, thy sting, is gone forever. He who designed for me to die lives the bands of death to sever. He shall raise me from the dust. Jesus is my hope and trust. There are so many good hymns about the resurrection. Another, our Lord Christ hath risen today, speaks of of Christ's victory over death found in the resurrection. Our Lord Christ hath risen. The temper is foiled. His legions are scattered. His strongholds are spoiled. Oh, sing hallelujah. Be joyful and sing. Our great foe is baffled. Jesus is King. O death, we defy thee as stronger than thou. Hath entered thy palace. We fear thee not now. O sing hallelujah. Be joyful and sing. Death cannot affright us. Jesus is King. O sing, thou art vanquished. Thou long reign is over. Though thou still thou doth vex us. We dread thee no more. O sing hallelujah. Be joyful and sing. Who can condemn us? Jesus is King. O Lord Christ hath risen. The day breaketh at last. The long night of weeping is weeping nigh past. O sing hallelujah. Be joyful and sing. Our foes are all conquered. Jesus is King. That here we see in the Gospel of Mark the first witnesses of this glorious good news for all believers. The Christ has defeated death. He is the firstborn of all who will be raised. But Mark does not stop there. He leaves us with one final thing. That is, the women are directed to tell others about Jesus' resurrection in verses 7 and 8. This messenger tells women to go and tell others of this good news. Go and tell the other disciples. And specifically, this messenger tells, go and tell Peter. Peter, who we last saw weeping outside the city walls after rooster crowed twice. The good news of Christ's resurrection was not all those about be given just to those who are faithful, but to even who have walked away. The disciples were scattered. Peter denied Him. But yet, they're to be told of this good news. And we need to understand something about this passage. That is, many scholars believe that verse 8 is the last verse in the Gospel of Mark. You might have a footnote or a comment to that effect in your Bible. Many of your early manuscripts of what we have end in verse 8. We don't have to get into the details of this time. Maybe a Sunday school lesson will spend some more time on this. But if we do see that the verse 8 is the shorter ending, is the original ending, then we're left with one big question. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, I've directed you to this question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? Mark shows that many people have given different reasons for who they say Jesus is. Some want Him to be a physician who makes them well. Others have great faith in Him. 
religious leaders thought he was a blasphemer. The crowd thought that he was going to be the king. But Peter confessed that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Last week we saw that the centurion said that he is the Son of God. However, Mark wants to push this a bit further. Not only to ask who they say Jesus is, but who do you say Jesus is? That's a very important question that we've asked throughout this study. But I also think that Mark is asking another question. Not just who do you say Jesus is, but who do you say Jesus is to others? Who do you tell people who Jesus is? The the women are told of this good news of the resurrection of Jesus. They're commanded then to go and tell the disciples and Peter of this good news. Yet verse 8 ends the original Gospel of Mark. They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. They leave the tomb. We're told they leave trembling and astonished. Because this astonishment had seized them. They're in awe and amazed at what has happened. They have an emotional response. It's not just, just that they heard the facts and... They have nothing. There's an emotional response. This sense of, sense of wonder and bewilderment. They had just heard that Jesus who they saw crucified, who they saw placed in the tomb, is no longer there because He has been raised from the dead. But Mark tells us of another emotion. That they were afraid. Because they were afraid, they said nothing. They were silent. Now previously, Jesus had told people, don't tell people who I am. But now, He has commanded them to go and tell Jesus who He is. And what has happened. What they have witnessed. They're silent. We need to remember this passage. Firstly, that's included in this sandwich. The women are compared to Joseph. And we're meant to be able to see some differences between what the women do and what Joseph does. Now remember what Joseph did. That he had great boldness and courage. He went and stood before Pilate. Risking his reputation, and some might even say his life. He was willing to confess Christ before men, but the women were afraid. The second thing we need to remember is that of Mark's audience. Mark's main audience is written to those disciples living in Rome. And during this time, Christians were persecuted for their faith. Stories are told of Christians being thrown to lions. Find out in Acts chapter 18, the Christians were told to leave Rome. To the readers, they have found themselves 
in situations like Joseph of Arimathea. To publicly confess to be a Christian would have drastic effects on your job, your family, your life. But yet in contrast, the women are silent. James Edwards points out, the resurrection does not magically dispel fear and cowardice, transforming fable human characters into faithful disciples. Faithful discipleship consists of following Jesus. Not contemplating to do so, but acting courageously on His behalf. Not standing on the sidelines and watching. Now we know, although we might not know the longer ending of Mark, we'll talk about that next week, but we know through the Gospel accounts, that they were told that this message does go forth. In, in Acts chapter 4, after, after the disciples are beaten for professing Christ publicly, they come up and pray in, in Acts chapter 4, and they pray to God and pray to sovereign God and say, grant us boldness that we might be able to go forth and proclaim this glorious good news to all who, who seek to be able to believe. The question it remains to be asked, who do we say Jesus is? Not just quietly in our minds. Not just sitting on the sidelines and watching. But who do you say? Publicly. Professing. Jesus is. Are we willing to share this message? With others, even if it costs us greatly, even if we have a great risk, are we willing to stand before those in power and with boldness and courage profess Christ to others? Or are we going to be afraid? Remain silent, like the women. Like I said, the good news is we have the Gospel of Mark. We also know the end of this story. Many people heard and saw Christ in His resurrection. Peter once was afraid and weeping on the outskirts, boldly proclaims to others, but it leaves us with a question we should ponder. Who do you say Jesus is? Not just in your mind, but to others as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for the reality which is found in the Scriptures. That we see not in the pages of Scriptures of superheroes and superhumans who do not struggle with emotions or sin, but we see the reality of those who you have called, our sinful men and women, who are called to be able to live out their life with boldness and courage, proclaiming you to others. Yet this is not always the case. Lord, help us when we feel anxious, 
when we feel worried, when we see the risk rather than the reward. Lord, give us the boldness and the courage to be able to say to others who you are and what you have done for them. Give us the right words to say that we might do so with gentleness and respect, that we might be able to profess the hope in which we have, found in Jesus Christ and Him alone we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.